On this episode of AvTalk, we check in on the 747 to mark a few melancholy milestones and the possibility of two 747s finding an interesting new home. We run through some of the flights that made the news recently, including some for the wrong reasons. And we ponder the thorny legal issues airborne labor and delivery can create. We'll make something up. Yes, uh, I'm very good at that. Join us for AvTalk episode 11. Welcome to AvTalk episode 11. I am Ian Pechnik, and I am here as always with... Jason Rabinowitz. This is episode 11. Episode 11. We are well into double digits now. We've, we've done 10. They're going well, I think. We're we're having fun. At least I'm having fun, and I'm forcing Jason to continue doing this. So I do it for I, the hate, I guess though. things are... Well, and, and we got a lot of it last time. Ooh, we uh, should read we'll some get of that. To that. We'll get to that towards the end of the show. So the past couple weeks have just been kind of one one seven four seven noteworthy bit after another yeah it's an old plane the 400 and i guess what the 200s are are long gone as we talked about a couple months ago Mm -hmm. but the 400s are getting up there in age at least for passenger service and it seems like every week there's something else in the news going on with the 747 just yesterday, I think the last China airline 747 flight to Vancouver happened, I believe. Yep, that was yesterday. And today is the first A350 flight to Vancouver, which replaced it for them. Yeah, and I think Qantas sent yes. one of their 400s, not the ERs yet. They're still hanging on to those for a while. Yeah, well, they're the only airline, I think, in the world using ERs for passenger service uh, that ever used it for passenger service. Yeah, and then they sent one to the desert. In in California into the Mojave, and then United performed what was what you and I both understand to be a a wonderful PR stunt. Yes, PR is wonderful. But they they claimed it was the last domestic seven four seven flight by a United seven four seven, and and as we've seen, I don't know how many times with these things is. The last is never really the last until they park the plane and and lock it up for good. Remember the last time United said it was going to be the last 747 flight out of Chicago? Remember that? I I remember the last time they said that there was the last time that they were going to base the 747s in Chicago. They were moving them all to San Francisco. Then they moved them all back. Then they moved them back to San Francisco. So when they're no longer in the fleet and none of them are flying, I will believe that it's the last... 747 flight out of the last domestic 747 flight. Yeah. And and this flight got an odd amount of media attention, not even just like the aviation geek sphere, I guess, but like mainstream media from like NBC News, USA Today, all covering it as United's last domestic 747. And I can't say the words I really want to say on this podcast because we would get a little explicit tag on iTunes. But nonsense. Nonsense is a is a, a gentle way of putting it. And I, I just thought it was interesting. I mean, on one hand, I'm very happy that more people got involved. And the flight from – we had a few friends that actually took the flight. And they said it was an amazing time. Well, there, there are more non-revs on it than actual paying passengers. Well, that that's true too. But, I mean, it, it sounded like it was a wonderful party in the sky and that a lot of people had – had a really great time. So I don't want to take that away from anybody. And, and I'm glad they had fun. And, and and I wish I could have been there. All that said, but if they don't run another one again, I will, will think of something that I will do 
but I can almost guarantee that there will be another United domestic 747 flight. Yeah, I will wager a large amount of money on that happening. Even after it's officially retired, there's always a chance that it could come back and operate a flight. Delta did the same thing with the DC-9 where they say, okay, this is the final scheduled flight of the DC-9. But for weeks after that, it could always be called back in for, I guess, an emergency basis. Yeah, and and I will also wager a large amount of Jason's money. Wait. They will run these flights after they're retired, so... So that, that Stop wagering I guess, my money. Oh, I need okay. that. <laughs> but yeah, if you are looking to get on a United 747 flight, you still have a chance. They're flying out of San Francisco still to yep. Frankfurt twice a day, London, I think Narita. So nowhere really short haul, but they pop up in the schedule every now and then. And I heard something interesting about this Chicago to San Francisco flight that everyone's claiming was the last that... It was supposed to be a rotation back into the fleet to get back to San Francisco after doing some charter work. And apparently the aircraft that was supposed to come off charter was occupied or didn't make it, it to Chicago. Delayed. It, it was delayed. It was delayed. And yeah. they actually had to fly what I heard to be an empty 7-4 from Chicago, from San Francisco out to Chicago to fly it back to San Francisco to not disappoint literally everybody. And then, yeah, so instead of canceling the flight, which... They lost a ton of money on. Oh, I mean, yeah. b- because it, the, it was, I, I want to say 75% of it was non revs. So, I mean, there, there were almost no paying passengers on the flight. Right. And I'm assuming they only offered this flight in the first case just because it needed to right. be rotated back into the flight system. So, you might as well put paying passengers on it. But that did not go as planned. So, they, they landed the, the one that they were supposed to use after the other one had. Had left and then that one left the next day. So good so, on United for not just yeah. canceling it and being a party pooper. So the other big seven four seven news huge. today, Get huge. It? We're recording on the the first of August, just to to give everyone a time frame. Huge news, huge. as Jason puts it. It sounds like the United States Air Force has made a deal with Boeing to take up the two. 747-8 intercontinentals that Trans Arrow had ordered and not taken up because they had gone bankrupt before they could take delivery. So there's been... Not taken up is such a kind way of putting that. Well, how would you put it? Wasn't around anymore to accept. <laughs> okay. I, I think that that's also pretty kind. But yeah. So they've been sitting out at Victorville in California, all wrapped up nicely for a while now i think the the they last flew last flew in february i think one of them flew yeah these were hanging out at everett for since mid 2015 i actually have a bunch of pictures of these things hanging out at the everett delivery center yeah so they they built them transera went bankrupt they said no thank you we don't exist anymore and <laughs> they went and got parked in the desert and so it sounds like the air force is going to pick these up and turn them into do we know what the de- I mean VC twenty six VC twenty five point two I don't know twenty five yeah I mean we we don't know what they'll be called but they'll be the next aircraft for that'll be you know commonly known as Air Force One right. so they're going to use these I get it's nothing's a done deal but there's a lot of reporting around yeah it. so remember back in Trump's like 
literally the first or second day in office for him. He sent out a tweet saying, we're getting a terrible deal from Boeing. We're paying way too much. Maybe we should just cancel the whole damn thing. And that sent Boeing into um, kind of a PR uh, spiral, I guess, because this is before anyone really knew that the president of the United States would be bitching at private companies on a regular basis, which has seemed to have subsided a bit since then. But this has been going on for months, and I'm just kind of shocked the Air Force would actually want to use Russian (laughs) 747s that are going to take a lot of rework to get right. I'm on the opposite side of this spectrum because I'm not surprised at all that they did this. Why is that? Because given everything that's going on right now, it makes perfect sense. Does it? Explain. Okay, here's my thinking. They're just sitting there. The president and on down through the Air Force procurement chain has expressed an interest in getting a better deal. So everyone can claim a win, whether or not it ends up costing more money in the long run, which I think you're right. I think it probably will end up costing a ton of money to rework these. That doesn't matter right now. I mean, shouldn't it? It should. (laughs) If if, if we have the great businessmen we're supposed to in the Oval Office, shouldn't we actually be getting the greatest deal instead of just pretending the optics of it look good? But we are sitting here as people who know a little something about aircraft. The man ran an airline. Yes, past tense. (laughs) And and we we can note the fate of Trump Air. Yeah, oops. But that's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about here is is, is both from the the from Boeing's standpoint and from from the administration standpoint. We're getting a great deal. It's you know the, these aircraft are brand new. They've I mean they've been flown for maybe 20 hours a piece. Maybe. So I mean they're in great condition. They're easy to modify because they I I mean I don't think they've had much you know work done inside. So they'll be easy to modify, and you go from there. Whether or not that ends up costing more, I mean, I guess that's a 50-50 shot. But from the outset, you can say that it we don't, we're not going to build extra planes. So we're saving money right there. Right. Well, considering how special Air Force One is, or Air Force Ones are, there is just so much work to be done. The current VC-25s, John Ostrauer, who we had on the show, just tweeted that they actually have two APUs that were originally for the 767. They're two smaller APUs, modified tail cone. It has to be retrofit to withstand the EMP blast of a nuclear explosion. It has to be in-flight refueling capable. Obviously, a Transaero regular old intercontinental 747-8 does not have any of this capability. So they're going to have to tear the entire thing apart and completely modify it to the almost outlandish specs that the Air Force requires. I can't help but think it would be cheaper, or I don't want to say cheaper, but less expensive and just outright better to do it from scratch rather than modifying two aircraft that just happen to be more convenient. Maybe not even cheaper, but just more convenient. Sure. And I'm not saying I disagree with that logic at all. That, that's would, not what I'm saying. I would love to see the breakdown of this. Somebody well, must have I, run well, the math in the government. I mean, I would too. But what I'm saying is that you, the, you can argue right now as a kind of a public relations victory that, you know, we negotiated, we got a great deal, we're going to take these planes, we're going to convert them, it'll be great. Well, what we do know is that that is two fewer 747s coming off the production line than 
anyone thought, I guess. So mm-hmm. the 747 line is not long for this world. No. And the the other, what's the word I'm looking for? Milestone this week was that Korean Air took delivery of their last 747-8, which is likely, given everything that's now happened, and especially likely. even more likely, given everything that's happened, the last... 747-8 delivery passenger variant delivery. Well, not just the Dash 8, the last 747 passenger aircraft, period. Period. I mean, the Dash 8 being the, the you know, the, the last in the line. Right. You could consider, I guess, Air Force One to be a passenger variant of it, even though it's something, some hybrid monster we'll, of its we'll, own. We'll say commercial passenger, whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's the last plane that people are ever going to pay to ride on. Right. We'll put it that way. Which is sad. That's effectively the end of the 747. Yeah. There is still plenty of, of cargo out there. They're, they're trickling it down. But I think Boeing, in, since we recorded last, announced they're dropping the production rate to eight per year, was it? Yeah, we're, we're below one a month, I think. Yeah, it, it's not great. But where the 747 was once produced, they'll build something new, something better. Yeah. I mean, the, the bright side of all this is, as far as, you know, the, the av geek in me is concerned, is that we're going to see 747s in the sky for, you know, onwards of 50 years, probably. Yeah, that might From be now. a bit much, but not passenger-wise, you want, but cargo-wise, no, no, but just there are 747s. airlines. Yeah, there are airlines that will fly the 400 and the Dash 8 for decades. Yeah. I mean, just, just look at the, the 200. We just saw the last 200 ri- retired, and they opened that line how many decades ago? I mean, there, there was a, a 200 flying today. Yeah. Wait, where? Who? Not a passenger. Well, no, I, I, it was a freight, but it was still a 200. Who? Somebody out of Iran. Ah, one of the, one of the weird ones out there. Yeah. It's hard to track, yeah. But yeah, it had MLAT coverage for, you know, a minute and a half. Because uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure the transponders on those are some guy yelling out the window where they are. <laughs> yelling out GPS coordinates. Yeah, exactly. We're going approximately 350 knots. I mean, that, 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 that's what it seems like sometimes. Yeah, not great. Oh, well. But whatever ends up happening with those Dash 8s, it'll be interesting because they've, I, I mean, we've seen them out at Everett. We've seen them out in the desert, and it's kind of sad they were hogging up space. But the good news is I have already plenty of stock images of an Air Force One frame kind of not even painted yet so that's cool that yeah that'll be uh, well it'll be interesting to see how they modify it i mean the actual frame and just keep in mind even if they start tomorrow these things will take years what what did they say 20 20 something 20 yes 20 something yeah (laughs) it's gonna be a long time i've seen so many you know different well nobody knows well there's that literally nobody knows but it's going to take i mean it takes two years to retrofit a triple seven to be a luxury triple seven that we saw crystal cruises. And it's not even that luxurious. It's got angled flat seats. Yeah. You saw my Twitter post, didn't you? Well, I, I also saw the angled flat seats. Yeah. I'd be pretty pissed off if I were on that thing paying how many thousands and thousands of dollars and I get a seat from 1997. Maybe that's why it took so long. Don't worry. I'm not going to be flying that anyway. I, I yeah, don't think this, either of us can afford that. No, the retrofit of these 747s is going to take many, many years, and I'm sure many, many cost overruns, but that's just comes with the territory. So 
the 747 is both coming to an end and coming to a beginning, and I'm sure we'll be talking about more of this as we, you know, mark milestones for, you know, the last of United's retiring theirs by the end of the year. Delta. Eva's retiring theirs. Delta's retiring theirs soon. So, I mean, there, there's a lot more coming up, but it, it's just kind of, you know, fun to see what's also coming up next. Yeah, fun and sad. Fun and sad. Speaking of things that are not sad, but are fun, quickly Good segue. to. Thank you, I, I think. <laughs> to toot our own horn, I guess, we had a pretty good month in July. How so? 5.3 million flights were tracked in July. That sounds like a lot, but I have nothing it, to it, compare it to. Well, you can compare it to everything else we've ever tracked, which is a new record. So, yeah, 5.3 million flights and a new single-day total on the 13th of July, 189,168 flights. So is this by nature of there being more flights in the world or having more receivers to pick up more flights or both? I think it's both because year over year, it's a big growth. So we've had quite a bit of coverage growth over the year, but proportionally, it there's also more flights, which is you know fascinating to me that there are that many people that need somewhere to be. I have lots of places to be. I know you do. I wish I had more places to be. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, you, you just see so many of these airlines ordering 150, 200, 250 planes that they got to fly at some point. So it exactly. makes sense that there are more than ever. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that growth is, is in, it's in Asia. A lot of it is, you know, low-cost carriers, and a lot of it is flying short-haul more often. Right. It was where the growth in flights is coming from. I'd like to see, over the last couple of years, what the proportion of flights in China is. Because when we talked to John Ostrauer, he mentioned that the what, the biggest growing aviation market is China, and mm-hmm. I bet that's true. Yeah, I mean, it's- I bet we, your numbers I show that. I haven't run the specific numbers, but we can look into that, and maybe for a future episode, we'll we'll come back to the to what that answer is. So, speaking of new receivers, I hear there's a cool one. Well, there there were a couple cool ones. We added our third receiver on Saint Helena, so that's pretty neat. And Airlink is going to start service there soon, so they'll be running Avros. Avros? I thought they were using an eJet these days. No, no, it's it's I'm pretty sure it's the Avro. Up to Namibia and then over to St. Helena and then back the other way from up from Cape Town. That's cool. Yeah. Definitely then, one of the most remote odd places. To, yeah. Uh, and, and now we've got three receivers there. So one more and, and, and we bingo. No, one more and we can track aircraft with MLAT on the island. That'll be a, a nice thing to do. Yeah. And then the other one that was pretty cool is up near Thule Air Base in very, very, very northern Greenland. You, that wasn't enough ferries because I've seen what this is on a map. Very, 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 very. What is, that is there to even track up there? I mean, if we're talking about ground coverage, Air Greenland offers flights into the airport there. So now we have ground coverage for the, the few flights that they offer in. And then if we're talking about overflights, we're looking at the long, long transatlantic flights. Think Aeroflot from the Middle East also over to the West Coast. So like Doha, Los Angeles, Moscow, Los Angeles. Let's see who else is going over there. Air India stuff. So those are the things that are way up there. Air Greenland. Air Greenland. With their little 
Dash the 8 Dash Q100s? Yeah. They have ADSB? They are all equipped now. We can't even get our major US airlines to equip like their 767s with ADSB. That is correct. And they have Q100s with it. That is correct. That's kind of amazing. I guess practically they use it to track their own fleet because I doubt there's any radar up there. Yep. No, that's exactly that's exactly what they're doing. Cool. Yeah. So that was <laughs> July. Yeah. I, I mean, it was just, you know, it's always fun to, to see these things. And, you know, you see this antenna go up in the middle of nowhere. And right. you look around and there's nothing there. Yeah. This is an interesting use case because, like I just mentioned, there, there's no radar coverage out there. It's not like the U.S. where we have at or near 100% primary and secondary radar coverage, this is probably their only means of tracking their own aircraft. Yeah, it, it's definitely a good thing for them to have ADS-B installed and, and be able to use you know, our, our service to, to know where their flights are at all times. I guess it's a lot like the seaplanes out in the Maldives. Exactly. Yep. That's exactly what it is. Cool. So as many of you know, when an airplane takes off, usually the flight crew retracts the landing gear, stores the wheels. Usually. Usually. That didn't happen on one particular Air India flight recently. And um, (laughs) they didn't realize for a very surprisingly long time until they realized they wouldn't have enough fuel to get to their destination. They were cruising at something like, what, 23, 24,000 feet because they just simply couldn't climb any higher. And they had a climb rate of what, like 32 feet per second at some point? It was, I mean, we're, we're talking 320, 120, 320. I mean, it was in the hundreds where, where normally we're t- looking at, you know, thousands of feet per minute. Right. And this was an A320 family aircraft. I'm not sure which it variant exactly. It was an A320. Right. So if you're an A320 pilot or if you have experience, let us know how that could possibly happen, how you theorize it could happen. If you're trying to climb and you forget to raise the landing gear, are there any warnings or alerts? Or how could you not notice this? Even the the sound of the wind hitting the landing gear should be pretty obvious, no? I would think so. I, I would think that at some point, my very cursory reading was that it there were certain triggers that could let you know that the gear is down or is down and shouldn't be, but I'm not sure if this situation triggered those warnings. So yeah, like like Jason said, we'd love to hear from you. If you have experience in the A320 or A320 family, let us know at podcast at fr24.com what your experience is and if this would have been evident to you. Because as a passenger, I'm usually aware of when the gear is down and when the gear is not down, just it's based on the, pretty the di- noise difference. Yeah. yeah. Well, clearly some checklists were not properly followed. So but yeah, in the end, it all worked out. They realized their mistake before they ran out of fuel and they diverted. Mm-hmm. So at least something went right. Diverted safely, and and that's you know that's the the happy ending there. Yes, another brilliant story out of Air India. Ah, <sighs> so luckily, you know, luckily everything worked out. So speaking of things not going quite the way anyone had planned, something happened in about Qatar recently, didn't it? Yeah, back back in the news, and Qatar went to the ICAO organization over the weekend and said a lot of things that we thought they would say. The countries that have put restrictions on Qatari flights are, you know, contravening norms and the rules and and non observance of law and things like that. But the interesting bit 
was that Qatar is petitioning for their own flight information region. So basically, when we talked last time around, we talked about how Qatar doesn't really have its own airspace at all. Nope. And so they want to change this so that these types of blockades are less effective, I guess, or aren't possible. Yeah, well, they're pretty dependent on Bahrain for their airspace right now, which sounds weird, but they actually control a large chunk of the airspace in the region. Yeah, Bahrain basically controls all of the airspace above Qatar and around it. Which seems uh, odd, because Bahrain's a y- tiny country. Well, I mean, it, there's a lot of history involved in that because of you know Bahrain's importance of you know international air travel when, when international air travel was just getting started, and how you know Qatar fits into that whole picture as as a body that didn't really have as much to do with international air travel. So when they designed the FIR way back when, that's kind of how it got going, and. That was a terrible explanation, I think, for anyone listening. But suffice it to say, Qatar wants to change that and have airspace of its own. So that'll be interesting to see if if it goes anywhere. Yeah. And for now, at least nobody has to listen to a damn thing that is uh, being said by the organization because nothing they can do is really binding, but they can really ask strongly. But so far, absolutely nothing has changed. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing nothing has changed. and, And I don't. I don't think anything's really going to change, at least in the near future. But it'll be interesting to see if well, for what if it's something worth, does Qatar change. has managed to work around this pretty well. Yeah, I mean, the, the, really, the only effects have been mainly the flights to Africa, right? And even those are just—I mean, you know, as obnoxious as it is, they're only a couple hours longer, right? You know, given the effect that it's had. But all of their premier long haul flights are pretty much unaffected completely. Yeah, I mean, the only long, long haul flight that's been affected is the one that goes to Rio. Right. And that hasn't really been affected at all because I, I was looking at the numbers very recently and it's about the same. Yeah. I mean, the, the, a few of the flights are a bit longer here, a bit shorter there because of the weather on a particular day. But I mean, it, there's no huge noticeable difference. Right. It's it's more of an issue for the country itself, actually. I mean, we talked about them right. having to fly in hundreds of cows just to bring milk in the country. Yeah. And so that's that'll be, you know, continuing things, you know, do they fly in more cows? Do they branch out to, to other animals or, you know, fruits and vegetables and things like that? So it'll be, you know, beyond what they're already doing. So that'll be interesting. Right. If there's a sheep airlift into Qatar, we will let you know. Yeah, that's... <laughs> I, I laugh, but we will. We will let you know. <laughs> we'll have a special podcast just for that. Oh, I, I, let's not go that far. <laughs> so speaking of sheep, aha! Wait a minute. Where are you going with this? I'm going to Ontario, Canada. Go on. So a friend of ours, a reporter named Tom Podolek, in he's based out of Toronto, posted something, a, a screenshot. He was tracking a flight that was doing a, a pattern back and forth. And we've talked about pattern work before in, in some other podcasts where you're looking at a, a special flight that's just kind of going back and forth in a straight line. And it's usually some sort of survey work for, you know, Google Maps or, you know, somebody's having a farm surveyed so they can sell it or something like that. This one was a little bit different. It was the Ontario Department of Natural Resources dropping rabies vaccination bait for fox, raccoons, and skunks. Hmm. 
So they were literally <laughs> dropping poison out of the sky. Well, not poison well, so much as, you know, medicine. Was it coming out the form of contrails? I doubt it. Okay, good. So chemtrails uh, aren't real. No. So they were just basically flying around Ontario dropping vaccination bait for animals? Yeah. Huh. So I, I'm not I'm not sure exactly how the the vaccination bait part works to to prevent rabies. But my understanding is that they, they fl- they're flying low enough where they basically have the windows open or the door open, and they just toss stuff into the forest. Right. So I guess it's a lot like out here in the Northeast, we have mosquito spraying to fight West Nile virus. So the county or the city or the state will take a helicopter or a light aircraft and literally fly around the coast and neighborhoods dropping out pesticides and just spraying for bugs. So this is kind of similar, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, right. Exactly. It's, you know, just using an aircraft to, to accomplish something much quicker than you could with a, a ground vehicle and cooler. Or, or something. Well, yeah. Why use I a mean, pickup truck when you can use an Robinson R22? That I have often asked that question myself about many things. Mm-hmm. It just seems cooler when you do it by airplane. Yeah. I mean, it, what isn't cooler when you do it with an airplane? I have no answer to that. Podcast at fr24.com. <laughs> Let us know. What else do we so have? So where do we, we want to go next? I mean, we just we, there's a ton of stuff in the past two weeks. There that, is. There's just kind of happened. Mm, how about, let's go to Istanbul. Istanbul. All right. Broken windows. Those are bad. Broken radomes. Broken wings. This massive and incredibly strong hailstorm moved through and... There were at least three flights affected, and one affected in the air, and one affected on the ground. A 747 got stabbed by a cargo loader. Oh, so and it, it was a it was a Kalita 747. So that's as far as I know, still parked on the ground there. And kind of the the big one, and we'll put the video in the show notes because it's it's a, an impressive landing that they they made it back back to Istanbul. But there was an Atlas Global A320. That sustained damage to the radome and the front windscreen. And the only window they could see out coming back to land was the left side window. So it was a, a pretty impressive. Yeah, the main windshields were just obliterated. That was, you know, the one of, I guess, three flights that that was affected and the one that was affected most severely. But everybody landed just fine. And the insurance companies will be having a field day, I guess. <laughs> a day for the maintenance guy down there oh, at Istanbul. Man. <laughs> the one maintenance guy. <laughs> yeah, it, it it was bad, but these things happen sometimes. You if you have so many flights, airspace gets restricted by the storms, and sometimes you can't get everyone out out of the way in time. I mean, this happened to a couple years ago. An American seven eight seven, I believe, in, in China, got just like completely destroyed after just a few days in service and was on the ground for quite a while. So yeah, these things happen. Yeah. Th- I think I don't know if that was the same. It was the same time period as that Delta seven four seven. Yeah, and instead of fixing it, they just retired the plane yeah, that's and right. brought another one out of the desert. Yeah. Oh, and that didn't go so well. That, I remember that. What do you mean? The seven four they brought out of the desert had a few technical issues when it, uh-huh. they put it back in service, and they kept having to return to Minneapolis or Detroit. I think. But, oh, but yeah, that's right. It, it, that Delta seven four was so badly damaged by hail, they just said, oh, "Screw it, we'll just retire it." 
Yeah, and and they just I mean because it was it was you know the radome, the windscreen, the leading edge of the wings, the cowl. I mean everything looked like a it looked it all looked like golf balls. Yeah, and these things happen in China. The airspace there is so restricted by the military. The air traffic control sometimes is unwilling or simply unable to reroute you, and sometimes you just gotta go through the storm. Yeah, it was not a fun day to be to be flying in Istanbul. No. So other storm related activity this week. The Enter Air flight that spent three and a half hours in a hold waiting to land at at Madeira. And I don't know about you, but I, I've had to hold in a plane before, but never for three and a half hours. No, that's almost kind of absurd. How far away was the point where they ended up diverting to? I think they went to Las Palmas. So, I mean, not terribly far away. Right. I guess a, a low-cost operation like that, you want to land where you're supposed to land because you may not may very well not have contracts and services at a diversion point, and you could end up there for quite a while. Yeah, I mean, it was it was quite the day there. I want to say it was, you know, upwards of 80% of flights were either canceled or diverted. Yeah, so it was, it, it, I guess if you're, you're going to a, an airport like this that may not have the best weather forecasting agency, you just kind of cross your fingers and hope the weather gets better because you might not have the greatest idea if and or when it will. Yeah. So let's close on some good news. I guess it all ended well, so it's very good news. But there was a baby born on a Lufthansa flight last week. Oh, what route? Bogota to Frankfurt. Was the flight Lufthansa already in the air? Five, Lufthansa 543, the flight's in the air. And it's over the Atlantic Ocean, southwest of Ireland. And a baby boy joined the... Joined the passengers. So here's a question that I know will drive people nuts and have everyone yelling different answers. Uh, uh Yeah, you know where I'm going with this. Yeah, I do. What nationality is the baby? Colombian, German, or they were over Ireland at the time? Is the baby Irish? They were not over Ireland. They were were in international airspace Ah. southwest of Ireland. Ah, so maybe it belongs to the sea. Yes, the the woman gave birth to Davy Jones. So what passport do you give this child? That is a wonderful question. I'm going to do absolutely no research on oh. because I've had discussions like this in the past and it, it just they never, end, it well. never ended. No. So if you know or if you believe you know, please let us know at podcast at fr24.com or let us know on, on Twitter or Facebook, Flight Radar 24, and we will discuss those in the next episode if if we get some good answers if we don't get any good answers we'll make jason up. will make something up yes uh, yes i'm very good at that so if you've got strong feelings about where the baby was born what nationality the baby is all that fun stuff let us know we should also throw in that the the baby they landed they diverted the flight to manchester if that throws another wrinkle into your calculations by all means oh that does let us make know. it more interesting so we'll, we'll talk about that if anyone gets back to us and we'll end on a on a happy note. Mother and, and child are doing wonderfully, and the crew did an amazing job. Everybody had a good time getting on to Frankfurt, so there was nothing nothing like that. So, so it all ended well. I think that would be one of the very few circumstances where I would be like really happy that I missed my connection flight for. Yeah, that's definitely something I think I can forgive. Yeah. Well, good stuff. We'll end that on a happy note, and we'll end the entire show on a happy note. This has been episode eleven of Av Talk. I am Ian Pechnik, and I'm Jason Rabinowitz. And thank you for listening. 
We'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye.